0: Vix Beiderbeck was one of the great jazz musicians of the 1920s. He was also a child of the jazz age who drank himself to an early grave with illegal prohibition liquor. His hard drinking and beautiful tone on the coronet made him a legend among musicians during his life and the legend only grew larger after he died. Welcome to Dead Wax 78s, I'm your host Sean, and remember this is the place where we're going to talk about old-timey music and gramophones and recordings. Today it's about Bix Beiderbeck. Now I've heard his name pronounced several ways, Beiderbeck, Beiderbeck Beiderbecky. I'm just going to use Beiderbeck because it kind of rolls off my tongue a little bit better. So Leon Bismarck Beiderbeck, American jazz cornetist, pianist, and composer, he was one of the most influential jazz soloists of the 1920s. A coronet player noted for his inventive lyrical approach and purity of tone, with such clarity of sound that one contemporary famously described it like shooting bullets at a bell. Bix never learned to read music very well, but he had an amazing ear even as a child. His parents disapproved of his playing music but, and they sent him to military school just outside Chicago in 1921. He was soon expelled for skipping class and became a full-time musician. Bix Biderbeck was born on March 10, 1903 in Davenport, Iowa. And there is disagreement over whether Biderbeck was christened Leon Bix or Leon Bismarck, giving his nickname Bix. Regardless, his parents called him Bix, which he seemed to have, you know, be his preference. The son of a German immigrant, Beiderbeck's father was a well-to-do coal and lumber merchant, and they named him after Otto von Bismarck of his native Germany. Beiderbeck's mother was the daughter of a Mississippi riverboat captain. She played the organ at the Davenport's First Presbyterian Church and encouraged young Bix for his interest in piano. He began playing piano at age two or three and his sister recalled that he stood on the floor and he played it with his hands over his head, not even looking at the keys. Five years later, he was the subject of an admiring article in the Davenport Daily Democrat that proclaimed, 7-year-old boy musical wonder, little Bicky Biderbeck plays any selection he hears. Here's side one, Fidgety Feet, Wolverine Orchestra on Gannett 1924. Becker Beck attended the Davenport High School from 1918 to 1921. During this time, he sat in and played professionally with various bands, including those of Wilbur Hatch, Floyd Bean, and Carlisle Evans. In the spring of 1920, he performed for the school's vaudeville night, singing in a vocal quintet called the Black Jazz Babies and playing his cornet. At the invitation of his friend, Fritz Putzier he subsequently joined Neil Buckley's Novelty Orchestra. The group was hired for a gig in December 1920, but a complaint was lodged with the American Federation of Musicians, Local 67, that the boys did not have union cards. In an audition before a union executive, Biderbeck was forced to sight-read and failed. He did not earn his card. In September 1921, Beiderbeck enrolled in the Lake Forest Academy, a boarding school north of Chicago in Forest Lake, Illinois. While historians have traditionally suggested that his parents sent him to Lake Forest to discourage his interest in jazz, others believe that it may have been sent away in response to his arrest for an assault. Regardless, Mr. and Mrs. Beiderbeck apparently felt that boarding school would provide their son with both the faculty attention and discipline required to improve his academic performance, necessitated by the fact that Bix had failed most courses in high school. His interests, however, remained limited to music and sport. In the pursuit of music, Bix often visited Chicago to listen to jazz bands at nightclubs and speakeasies, including the infamous Friars Inn, where he sometimes sat in with New Orleans Rhythm Kings. Biderbeck often failed to return to his dormitory before a curfew and sometimes stayed off campus till the next day. In the early morning hours of May 20, 1922, he was caught on a fire escape to his dormitory attempting to climb back into his room. The faculty voted to expel him the next day due to both his academic failings and his extracurricular activities, which included drinking. The headmaster informed Biderbeck's parents by letter that following his expulsion, school officials confirmed that Biderbeck was drinking himself and was responsible in part, at least, in having liquor brought into the school. Soon after, Biderbeck began pursuing a career in music. He returned to Davenport briefly in the summer of 1922, then moved to Chicago to join the Cascades Band. Working that summer on Lake Michigan excursion boats, he gigged around Chicago until the fall of 1923, at times returning to Davenport to work for his father. Here's side two Jasmine Blues. In the Wolverine Orchestra late 1923 and the seven-man group played at speakeasy called the Stockholm Club near Hamilton Ohio specializing in hot jazz and recoiling from the so-called sweet music the band took its name from one of the most frequent numbers jelly roll Morton's Wolverine blues on February 18th 1924 the Wolverines made their first recordings Two sides were waxed that day at the Gannett Records studio in Richmond, Indiana. Fidgety Feet, written by Nick LaRocca and Larry Shields from the original Dixie Jazz Band, and Jazz Me Blues, written by Tom Delaney. Beider solo on the latter heralded something new and significant in jazz. The Wolverines recorded 15 sides for Gannett Records between February and October 1924 the titles revealed a strong and well-formed coronet talent. His lips had strengthened from earlier, more tentative years. On nine of the Wolverine's recorded titles, he proceeds commandingly from lead to opening solo without any need for a respite from playing. During an engagement at the Cinderella Ballroom in New York during September-October 1924, Bix tendered his resignation with the Wolverines, leaving to join the Gene Golket and his orchestra in Detroit. But Bix's tenure with the band proved to be short-lived. Golket recorded for the Victoria Talking Machine Company, whose musical director, Eddie King, objected to Bider modernistic style of jazz playing. Moreover, despite the fact that Bix's position with the Golkett band was Third Trumpet, a less taxing role than First and Second Trumpet, he struggled with the complex ensemble passages due to his limited reading abilities. After a few weeks, Bix and Golket agreed to part company, but to keep in touch, with Golkett advising Bider to brush up on his reading and learn more about the music. Bix was able to bone up on his sight reading enough to rejoin Gene Golquette's orchestra briefly before signing up as a soloist with Paul Whiteman's orchestra. Whiteman's orchestra was the most popular band of the 1920s and Bix enjoyed the prestige and the money of playing with such a successful outfit. But it didn't stop his drinking. The heavy touring and recording schedule with Whiteman's orchestra may have exasperated Bick's long-term alcoholism, though this is a contentious point. Whiteman's violinist, Matty Malnick, said, the work was so hard, you almost had to drink, adding, he didn't get to play the things he loved with the Whiteman's band because we were a symphonic band and we played the same thing every night and it got to be tiresome. On November 30th, 1928, whilst on tour in Cleveland, Beck suffered, in all probability, an acute attack of delirium tremens, presumably triggered by Bix's attempt to curb his alcohol intake. He cracked up, that's all, said trombonist Bill Rank, just went to pieces, broke up a room full of furniture in a hotel, and was eventually sent back to his parents in Davenport, Iowa, to recover. Here's side three, In a Mist, written and played by Bix on OK 1927. (laughs) Whiteman was very good to Bix during his struggles. He kept Bix on full pay long after his breakdown and promised him that his chair was always open in the Whiteman Orchestra. But Bix was never the same again and never rejoined the band. Following the Wall Street Crash of 1929, the once booming music industry contracted and work became more difficult to find. For a while, Bick's only regular income came from his work as a member of the Nat Shilkrit Orchestra on the Camel Pleasure Hour NBC radio show. However, during a live broadcast on October 8, 1930, Beiderbeck's seemingly lifeless gift for improvisation finally failed him. He stood up to take his solo, but his mind went blank and nothing happened recalled a fellow musician, Frankie Cush. The Coronetists spent the rest of the year at home in Davenport, and then in February 1931, he returned to New York one last time. Biderbeck died in his apartment, number 1G, 4330 46th Street, in Sunnyside, Queens, New York, on August 6, 1931. The week had been stiflingly hot, making sleep difficult. Suffering from insomnia, Bix played the piano late into the evening to both the annoyance and the delight of his neighbors. But he died at age 28 during an alcoholic seizure. The official cause of death was a low-bar pneumonia and edema of the brain. Bix's mother and brother took the train to New York and arranged for his body to be taken home to Davenport. He was buried there on August 11, 1931 in the family plot at Oakdale Cemetery. The story of Bix and his music is important for many reasons. Although the child prodigy was trained on piano, he taught himself to cornet. His love for music and his determination to play the new jazz sounds he heard as a boy helped him develop a style that was unique. He was also one of the first white jazz musicians to be taken seriously by a mostly black jazz community. In his short life, he was able to have an enormous influence on many people. Here's side four, singing the Blues. Thank <laughs> you. Kay in Brunswick, Bix, Beiderbecke, Frank Trumbauer, and Jack Teagarden Sessions, 1924-1936, centers on these three giants and how their careers intersected during a decade of classic American jazz. It includes some of the rarest and most important jazz recordings of the last century. Bix holds a unique place in the early history of jazz. Among the white musicians of the Chicago scene, he held a position in some ways comparable to that of Louis Armstrong in New Orleans. Though his career never reached a comparable scope, he still remembered for his unique lyrical tone. His sound was vibrant, yet more subdued and quietly poetic than that of most other trumpet and coronet players, thus anticipating the future development of cool jazz. His mythical status is also due to the tragic circumstances of his brief life. The sadness and loneliness that is reflected in his playing alongside an equally prominent heroic side became the object of fascination for an entire generation of musicians and beyond. Thank you for listening. This has been Dead Wax 78's i'm sean and you know if you haven't heard a big Spiderback tune you've got to listen because it's amazing and you know what i'll catch you on the flip side